Shalhevet High School presents the Radical Moderation Podcast. Here's your host, Rabbi Ari Siegel. Hey everybody, Ari Siegel here of the Radical Moderation Podcast. In this week's podcast, we're joined by the Accidental Talmudist. It's a blog with over a million followers that joined Sal and Nina Litvak on their journey from searchers, uh, kind of turned off by Judaism, to finding the Talmud, the beauty in the Talmud, and creating an entire world around their study of that Talmud and uh, their search for meaning in the world. It's really uh, incredible, and I am excited to share it with you. In the second half of the podcast, we jump into the radical moderation theme and talk about what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with the blogosphere and podcasts in general and communication between people, and maybe suggest a couple solutions, and I hope you'll join us and listen. Hello and welcome to the Radical Moderation Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Siegel. Today I'm here with Sal and Nina Litvak, uh, founders, uh, what would you call yourselves? The creators. the creators of an incredible blog known as The Accidental Talmudist. Uh, it has over a million uh, viewers or uh, readers, I guess is the term in the blogosphere. I would say followers. Followers, okay, I'm learning a lot. And you know what, our listeners are learning a lot. Uh, so over a million followers, which seems like a holy grail. I don't know if a million is actually some sort of specific number. It just feels like you've hit it big with a million followers. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. When it was a quarter million, when it was half a million, it felt good. At some point, we were able to say a fraction of a million, and That's, that was a big deal That for is, us. right, right, right. I'm at like 150th. Not even. I'm at 1,000th of a millionth right now, but hopefully I will get at some point to, uh, and that reminds me, listeners, if you like this podcast, please give us five stars. That's the way other people get to hear the podcast. It kind of pops up on the rankings of the podcasts. And so other people can, if you're enjoying Radical Moderation Podcasts, other people can uh, can listen. So before we get to your story about how the accidental Talmudist blew up and became this kind of worldwide phenomenon, I love starting off my podcast with just some casual questions. So, and I know you've done a little research on me, Sal. I know. <laughs> Only by way of listening to your five-star podcast. I, thank you. So uh, you might be prepared for this question, but I still think it's a worthwhile question anyway. Coffee, LA, it's a coffee town. At least I've experienced it that way. And my coffee uh, tastes have become even more refined. Where do you guys go for your cup of joe? I know you spend a lot of time with each other, which is really, I love seeing it, uh, to see a couple together and spending that kind of time. Do you guys go out for coffee together? Uh, I am not a coffee person. I am a uh, coffee bean chai latte with coconut milk person. Hmm. And we've got a coffee bean right down the street, so that's where I go. But so I think you're more of a coffee guy, right? I am. So if I'm going to put on my snob co coffee hat, and then I will go to this place. It's amazing. It's called Balcony. Oh. Have you ever been there? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Are you serious? You're kidding right now. I am not kidding. Oh, but I might want to edit this out. It Nobody knows about it. Uh. Right. So I'm nervous now that you just told all of my listeners about my, I promise you, it is my favorite coffee place in all of L.A., Yes. Down Olympic or Pico? Where uh, is down it? Olympic down at Sautel. Oh yeah. my gosh. And it's all siphon coffee. Siphon coffee. So yeah. I actually love their Americano. For those who don't know who are listening right now, siphon coffee, and it's hard to explain. It looks like a lab, like a science experiment. Exactly. Uh, it's got these beakers and water that's being evaporated and then dripping onto the coffee. So it gives it almost like a waterfall effect and that it, it, uh, 
equally or covers yeah, and you've the got coffee. like an Igor guy, you know, <laughs> no, like the, the, the electricity is going from one bulb to another. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you're a winner. Nina, you almost, uh, we almost shut the podcast off after you said coffee bean was your place. You went for coffee, but, uh, Sal, you've redeemed your family, uh, honor by saying balcony i really oh man i hope they're probably going to be overrun with business right now and i hope the one thing i find is some coffee places which i like like undergrind is is a, a good coffee place that i sometimes go to and um there's uh there's um i'm blanking on the name of it but uh verve delicious you can call your coffee order in in advance balcony is just like so pure you there's not nobody answers the phone there you just you got to go there, get your cup. They only have one size of Americano. You need time. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> you cannot be in a hurry at Balcone. Exactly. Wow. Okay. Well, Nina, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. I see you're wearing a Sriracha t-shirt. Yes. <laughs> is that, I did, when did Sriracha become big and is that your favorite go-to hot sauce? Okay, sriracha became big uh, recently, but I became I discovered sriracha 20 years ago. Are you serious? I was the first one on the sriracha train. <laughs> I put it on every, I, I use it like ketchup, okay? When I'm eating pizza, I put a thick layer of sriracha that covers the entire slice of pizza. Delicious. Um, I'm now wearing my, the best Hanukkah present I ever got from my son, which is a bright red sriracha shirt. I love so, it. Yeah, you People don't know what it is. I remember growing oh, up, it was around and it was in the Asian food section. Yes, and it had yes. a, I was about to say a tarnagal, which is the Hebrew word for, for rooster. It's or the rooster sauce. But it was the yeah. rooster sauce. And, yeah. and it was always on that shelf and nobody ever... I, I just didn't know what it was. And then I remember I saw someone in LA had it oh, and it's I read the best. It. it's It's amazing. So Sal, do you, is, is Sriracha your sauce of choice? It's amazing to me that Nina is such a brilliant chef. She really cooks beautifully. I'm so blessed and lucky to eat the food that she makes because for herself, all foods are a Sriracha delivery system. <laughs> <laughs> you should do like an IV drip on the Sriracha. I guess you'd miss Food is just a vehicle for Sriracha or yeah. other hot sauce. Got it. I like, you know what? There's an underrated sauce that the Tabasco Chipotle. Oh, that's good. Delicious. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I put that, that in my chalent, which for those of our listeners who don't know what that is, it's sort of a stew that was from Eastern Europe uh, that they made on the Sabbath. Just they would put it in an oven and it would cook over the entire Sabbath and you'd put it in the bakery oven um, of the town and it would just cook and it was a cheap way of making a little bit of meat go a long way. So uh, <laughs> I put my uh, Tabasco in there. Okay, next book that you guys are reading that you would recommend to our listeners? Something you find fascinating? Mm. I'm reading, so I'm a Jane Austen fan from way back. Jane Austen wrote six books. I've read each of them hundreds of times. And just recently, I discovered an author named Anthony Trollope, who is just as great as Jane Austen from the 19th century. So anybody out there, if you like Jane Austen, you're going to love Anthony Trollope, like amazing characters, just such a witty take on society at that time. Incredibly relevant to our world now. How do you spell Trollope? T-R-O-L-L-O-P-E. Cool. Okay, what about you, Sal? Your wife, that was like a very sophisticated, <laughs> thoughtful answer. I feel like you read yeah, how are you gonna beat Sports that, Illustrated <laughs> or something like that. I do love Sports Illustrated. Um, I will say a book that I've read recently that I had a response to is this book, Sapiens oh. by Yuval Harari, where he presents an amazing number of facts about the history of humans, which amaze me. And then I disagree with every single one of his conclusions <laughs> about our history. He's, yeah, he is very, um, he, for those who have not read the book, the fact piece is amazing. Just the background of how humans have evolved and the mechanisms we've, 
used as societies to evolve. How we came to a place like LA, and as soon as the humans arrived, the mammoths went extinct, the saber-toothed tigers went extinct, the giant toad sloth went extinct. It is wild to read that, but he's, he preaches a lot, meaning his conclusions are, are, are a little bit preachy for some He people. lives in a godless world, and right. so he assumes that every fact points to a godless place. But if you come from a place of faith, then all these facts are amazing. Yeah, it is interesting. I, yeah. I wonder if there is an author out there who has done similar work to him where you just end on the facts meaning, and then let people draw the conclusions that they want because it's true the facts he gives you could lead to his sort of godless view of the world and they could also be taken in a way that's just sort of the awesomeness of a creator that's that's built the world in this way so and who hides yeah you know. so you know i i teach a jewish philosophy class at times and one of the notions within philosophy is is a principle called easy resistibility mm-hmm. that god very intentionally a God that would want us to be free as human beings, and this is not a Jewish philosophy principle, it's a broad philosophy principle of people who believe in God, is that God wants us to be able to worship God freely. And the only way to do that is to hide him or herself a little bit so that people can come to God freely. So that's the principle of easy resistibility. And so things like what Yuval Noah Harari writes about can be taken in in multiple ways. So it's sort of an interesting uh, reflection of that idea. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last fun question. And then we're going to get to your story, which I know our listeners want to hear. I actually have heard it a little bit, but I, I want to hear the, the full version of it from you. Um, best purchase you've made under a hundred bucks in the last 12 months. Well, that's a tough one. Silence. Is that because you only spend over a hundred dollars on your purchases? <laughs> okay. The best purchase is a industrial strength lemon squeezer. <laughs> How many lemons are you squeezing, Nina? I will tell you. I'm squeezing two lemons a day because I heard that if you start your day before you eat anything by just squeezing a lemon into some warm water, it's healthy. So I'm somebody, I used to get colds all the time and they would last like two weeks. And I started doing this about a year and a half ago and we, we had a lemon squeezer and it kind of fell apart. So we got a really good one. And now I use it every morning. I recommend everybody start their day with just a squeezed lemon in warm water. It's good for digestion. It's good for your immune system. It's good for preventing kidney stones also. I get kidney stones and you're supposed to have lemon juice. So just so our listeners know what you're talking about, you're talking about that tall thing. No, no, no. It's just a... uh, it's, it's like a bartender's yeah. lemon ah, squeezer. Ah, you mean the hand thing. It's a yes. hand thing. Ah, because they have these these uh, tall kind of things that have a have an right. arm that you pull down and it squeezes citrus juice. Yeah, no, this is, that. I mean, it's probably $15. Oh. Um, but I use it every single morning. All right, Sal, you have, I would buy. You have her $85 right. and you're 100 <laughs> So you can go up to $185 on your purchase. I, I, I just want to say that. That thing with the arm, which yeah. you really use to squeeze oranges, but yes. would be great yeah. for lemons. I would love such a tool. I'm into tools. Yeah. But if I brought such a tool into Nina's kitchen, I would instantly be reminded, this is my kitchen. <laughs> we don't don't buy tools for, for this kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have your own kitchen, Saul? You should have your own kitchen where you could have as many. He does have his own kitchen. Want. It's called the outdoor barbecue grill. That's, <laughs> that's Sal's So kitchen. what's your purchase, Sal? Um, I've had it for more than six months, but- I highly recommend a Mighty Wallet. 
What is that? So that's made by Dino, I think, a Dino Mighty Wallet, which is a wallet made out of Tivec, which is the material that you waterproof houses with. I thought it's bulletproof vests also, no? Maybe it's used for that too. But so it's basically paper with plastic made into it. Mm -hmm. And so the result is you have a a, a wallet that is as strong as leather, but much thinner. And guys have wallets that are too thick. If you can feel your wallet in your pocket right now, it's too thick. I have a younger brother. Well, there's a famous Seinfeld where George is sitting on top of his wallet and it's sort of like a stack and it's enormous. I have a younger brother with a crazy wallet. So maybe I'll get that for him for Purim. I don't know if you get Purim gifts it's for people. It's so awesome. It's I gift. love this a, thing. Yeah. And everybody okay. loves it. Okay, great. All right. So for those who kind of follow very casually the blogosphere, you see these blogs that hit a, a million followers and you're sort of like, how did that ever happen? These people must be... I don't know, different or unusual. And then I've met you. You happen well, to be- We are different and unusual. Yeah, yes, I don't mean to, I don't mean to minimize <laughs> how- dare different. you call us usual. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't mean to overemphasize how normal you people are. Um, but meeting the two of you, it's, it's sort of like, it, it's uh, jarring a little bit. You're just two normal people who seem to like, I don't know, want to share your positive view on, on Judaism and life with the world. And there are a million- a million plus people who are interested in it. Can you just give us the short version of how this came about, this accidental Talmudist blog and and when it blew up, what, what was the tipping point for you? Well, I'll tell this story, but I invite Nina to interrupt me often. <laughs> She doesn't need an invitation, but I extend the invitation. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. She seems to do it whenever she wants, which is fine. Um, but basically the, the, the tragedy of my youth is that the reason I was uninterested in Judaism, uh, and I went to Hebrew school and had a bar mitzvah, but to me it was all how many pages till we're done and when do we eat? I was uninspired. uh, And because I'm so spiritual, spirituality to me was just this natural and even scientific thing. And what I mean by that is as as a boy, as a kid, I read a lot of science fiction and it just seemed ridiculous to me that billions and billions of stars worth of stuff would appear in the universe out of nowhere for no reason. Hmm. So to me, it was just a rational conclusion that there's God, there's someone made all this. If that someone made all this, that someone had a reason. So there's a creator, the creator created us and has some continuing interest in us. And I wanna connect with that. Hmm. I wanna connect with our creator and find out more about it. So Judaism did not seem to be about that. Uh, And so as soon as I had my bar mitzvah, to me, that was a hall pass out. (laughs) And I went looking everywhere else for spirituality. And for me that, it wasn't other religions, but it was things like endurance sports, martial arts. Grateful Dead shows. Grateful (laughs) Dead shows. That sounds like a a theme I've heard from people (laughs) of your generation. Yeah. Drumming, drum circles, meditation. I got into TM, Transcendental Meditation, really because in college I had a teaching assistant who was gorgeous and <laughs> she was a TM teacher. <laughs> Nina, uh, <laughs> are you going to jump in here, Nina? It's up, no. Not at all. Was it, is it Nina? Did you marry her? That would be amazing. No, that was Yo, not my TM. Yeah, <laughs> that's like the best kind of teacher. story. I, I don't have the patience for meditation, so <laughs> that wasn't me. Um, so, so, so I was out in the world looking for spirituality in these other places. And what really turned it all around was in 1997, when my grandmother passed away, she was a Holocaust survivor. Um, she lost her husband and was waiting 53 years to be reunited with him. 
my mother, my brother and I were all at her deathbed when she passed. And it was a very powerful shared death experience. And I wanted to honor her after that. So I went to a synagogue of the kind that I grew up in. It's what I knew. Um, Where were you at this time? Where now I was living in LA. I had met Nina. We had a lot in common. Um, and we were just kind of open. We didn't have a spiritual, uh, we didn't have religion in our lives, but we were open to it. And so when I came back uh, from, you know, from attending my grandmother's death, um, and that, it, it's, it, it's a long story, that's why I'm not telling it now, but people can read about it in a story called, I Saw My Grandmother's Soul Leave Her Body. Yeah. Um, and, and so I came back, I went to a shul to say Kaddish, I went to Sinai Temple, because um, it's just familiar, that kind of feeling. And I was very moved that day. And Rabbi Wolpe's a great teacher. And I thought, you know, I've been looking for this thing everywhere else. Maybe I should try my own backyard. Mm. And that's when I started learning. And I was voracious. I've always been a big reader and a learner. And if I get interested in something, I, I get into it. And so I was taking classes, learning with lots of different rabbis in LA. And this is a really, we're, we're, we're really privileged. Mm to be in this city, there's so many great teachers here. And every rabbi that I ever learned from would mention the Talmud. And I would think, wow, the Talmud must be full of wisdom. <laughs> I'd like to read that, but I don't know what it is. I don't know where to begin. And I'm thinking maybe I'm not allowed. Huh. Cause maybe you have to be 40 and I wasn't 40 yet. Or maybe you have, you to, have, go to, to, be, you have you to go to yeshiva. You have to go to yeshiva, you have to be Hebrew. a rabbi. It, it sounds, at least somewhat prohibited. Right. And uh, it's very it, intimidating for somebody that didn't grow up with the Jewish. And that's interesting. The 40 yeah. year old uh, prohibition actually is around the Kabbalistic exactly. works. But to conflate that, I mean, it just sounds like, you know, something you heard here and something you felt in terms of the intimidation of Talmud kind of combined into exactly. uh, I can't do this. Exactly. And so every time I was getting a book or buying a gift for somebody at the mitzvah store on Pico Boulevard, uh, I would see within that store these shelves of Talmud. Is the mitzvah store still around? No, it's, it has so moved. Well, it's on Beverly Say, now. Rest in peace. Oh, it's <laughs> no, moved. No, no, no. Rabbi Kraft's okay. store right. is now on Beverly. <laughs> okay, in Beverly. Okay, I got nervous. <laughs> right. yeah. um, but, but, you know, for the people who are old enough in your audience to understand this metaphor, the Talmud looks like three Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah. Um, at least the art scroll English I translation know. does. And so I would see all those volumes of Talmud and I would think, ah, I'd like to read that. I think it's full of wisdom. Huh. Don't know what it is, where to begin, or if I'm allowed, walk away. Wow. Repeat a dozen times. One time, I don't know why. It was 2005. I went through that same thought process. I start to walk away. What are you doing at that time, meaning professionally? 2005, we had, we had, so Nina and I are a screenwriting team and I'm a director and we had shot our movie, When Do We Eat? It was just about to come out, right? We were on the festival circuit okay. at that time. Um, so I was traveling a lot and, and going to various film festivals around the world and, you know, enjoying seeing audiences enjoy our first feature film, which we had worked toward that moment for so long. That's a whole other story. <laughs> that is a whole For another other story. podcast, yeah. Um, but uh, so I start to walk away and I just stop. And I think to myself, they're just books. I, I am a book lover. My house is full of books. I was an English major in college. I went to law school. I went to film school. I absorb, I, 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 I interact with the world through books. How am I going to just chicken out of books? Huh. There must be a book one. I'm going to get that and see what it's like. 
I pick up the nearest one, table of contents. Okay, the first book of the Talmud is called Brachas. There it is, that's Brachas. I get a Brachas, I take it to uh, the counter and the kid at the register says, huh, you're doing Dafyomi. So I say, what's Dafyomi? And then you have to describe this for your listeners. The kid at the counter goes like this. He looks Look. over his glasses as he tips them down to kind of check out his his customer and with a jaundiced eye. As if to say, are you kidding me? Right. And I thought, oh, Dafyomi's a code. <laughs> if you don't know the code, you're not allowed to read the Talmud. It's the password. It's the password. So I must look like such an idiot. And now he's got to politely get me out of the store without embarrassing me. This is horrible. And he says, Dafyomi is a program where people around the world read the entire Talmud one page a day on the same schedule. It takes seven and a half years, and today is day one. No way. Wow. So just to bring that home, if it was day 10 of a right. seven and a half year cycle, that would be amazing. Or, or if tomorrow was day one. Or if tomorrow or, yeah. was day one. <laughs> But I happen to buy book one of the Talmud on day one of the Dafyomi cycle. Wow. So I said, okay, God, I get the message. <laughs> I'm doing Dafyomi. And uh, you know, the people who typically do Dafyomi, they don't look like me. They have beards, they have black hats, they've been in yeshiva all their lives, they know the Talmud, you know, pretty well before they embark on reading every page of it. They know Hebrew, Aramaic, <laughs> yes. They know Hebrew. <laughs> They're not wearing Kangol hats. They're not wearing Kangol hats like me. Back then I was more the straw fedora guy. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> um, but I... Uh, uh, but this I said, I get that. This is 2005. And you see meaning God, meaning some people see this as coincidence. Okay, whatever. No, I think see... that, yes. And this has been a theme in my life. I, I believe that God does speak to us all the time, not in the language of words, but in the language of events. And this was to me an unmistakable message. And so I embarked, I, I, I set out on it. And, uh, and there were many times when I wondered why I'm doing this. It, it can get very technical, yeah. shall we say. It's, it's a, it was a, an hour a day. And yeah. it's an hour a day Do every day. Do you go day. to a class or you listen on, online or you? I knew right away that you should not learn Talmud alone. Yeah. So, so I said, okay, where do I learn Talmud? And Dafyomi, okay, you'd go to a shir, a class. What kind of class? There's three kinds, Hebrew, Yiddish, or English. So English for me. I go to the class at Eula, which says it's in English. The rabbi comes in, starts talking. Every other word from his mouth is in Hebrew Interesting. or Aramaic or Yiddish. It's jargon. It's Talmudic jargon. I had no idea what he was saying. I knew that the art scroll wasn't just a translation. It is a teacher teaching it to you. It's a really thorough and beautiful elucidation. So I just went alone in the art scroll with Rabbi Art Scroll for the next three years, but always thinking I shouldn't be learning alone. Then we moved to this neighborhood. We're in Hancock Park, and uh, and there's a shear two blocks away. Uh, so I said, let me just check it out. And again, it was allegedly in English, but every other word is jargon. And yet, after three years of doing it on my own, I could follow you it. Could no start problem. To pick it up. It's interesting. You just mentioned two what I would say are significant turning points in your story, where you could have easily I don't want to say been turned off, but it's a very interesting thing. You went to this bookstore and you asked for the tractate of Brachot. It's the first one, it's totally by accident. And this young man at the counter thinks you're learning Daf Yomi, which is great. Meaning he doesn't look at you and think Kangol hat or straw <laughs> hat, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He asks you, oh, you're learning Daf Yomi. He makes a positive assumption about you. 
And even when you say, huh, like, what are you talking about? There are two choices. There's, you know, sometimes we in the Orthodox community say, well, we're the insiders. If there's somebody who's on the outside, that's a dangerous thing. Are we letting people in? And sometimes stores will keep people out. They'll say, you know, you don't know what you're getting into. No, you know, maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's not for you in a loving way, but just like, are you sure you want to get involved in this? But this young man who didn't know he'd be changing the life. Shout out to that young man who we then tracked down years later. His name is Zach Plotsker. Zach Plotsker. I know Zach Plotsker. That's amazing. (laughs) So he had a positive response to you. He said, okay, well, let me tell you you what he changed my life and created accidental Talmudist. If he hadn't made the passing remark, taking an interest in a fellow Jew, if he had just rung up your order, if he had just rung up the order, it never would have happened. Wow. That's a small, a small gesture. And the same thing is true of just even in going to a class. It's interesting. We have all these classes in, you know, which we say are in English, but so much of the language is the insider language and you have to really be a part of it. So it's interesting that you sort of, you, kept pushing through that, you know, you found a way to do it on your own and then you went to another class. And by the time you got to this class in Hancock Park, it worked for you. So you just started blogging about this. We have like two or three minutes left in just to share with the, our listeners what, uh, how this podcast blew up. Did you? So it, I just stayed with it. I was just, no, I was just doing it on my own. And sometimes maybe even not, maybe often wondering why am I doing this? Because everywhere we would go, you'd bring these huge books. And sometimes (laughs) he'd be at the end of one tractate. And so we'd have to bring both books with us. Right. And I would, and I had already gotten into connecting with God in in a Jewish way. So in the years between my grandmother dying and starting Dafyomi, I prayed a lot. And once I was doing this hour a day um, of Dafyomi, I I was praying less. Mm. I was spending less time in that space sort of directly with God. And I was thinking, am I just doing this because I wanna be able to say at the end that I finished it? Why am I still doing this? Um, But but God sent me on this mission, so I stayed with it. And I didn't understand why until I came to the end of it. What happened was I went to the Seum at Giant Stadium. What is the Seum for our listeners? So the Seum is the completion. A Seum means a completion. And when you finish that seven and a half year cycle, they make a big deal out of it. And they actually rented out Giant Stadium and 93,000 Jews (laughs) came fill that stadium. There were a lot of speeches, but the highlight was a horror. I mean, for 20 minutes, we were dancing and singing and shouting, 93,000 strong. I could not- On Giants Stadium Field? And throughout all the stands. throughout the stadium. By the way, Giants Stadium, given the historical and, well, recent ineptitude of the Giants and the Jets, (laughs) haven't seen that kind of dancing in a long time. So, yeah. So everybody's dancing together, 93,000 fans and learners. Wow. and, you know, I could not help but think that the, the Nazis who killed my grandfather yeah. and put my grandmother through a camp were gone. Yeah. And they had once filled stadiums to burn our books and to celebrate that we would disappear. And now they were gone. And here we were celebrating this 3000 year old tradition. And I wrote about it. I, I asked David Suisa, who was a fan of our film, When Do We Eat? I told him this story. I said, if I wrote that up, would you publish it? He said, Sal, that's a cover story for the Jewish Journal but you should also have a blog. And so it started as a story called The Accidental Talmudist and a blog at the Jewish Journal. If you have a blog, you should have a Facebook page. And the Facebook page took off. I think it's because, and I've always done this with Nina, there would be no Accidental Talmudist without Nina. And we like Facebook because you, 
you know, one day you could write a sentence, the next day you write a thousand words. You could do video, you could do images. And we're, we're very creative people who express ourselves in different ways at different times. And something about the way that we do it, uh, I, I think we like to make it very accessible yeah, our, without our dumbing man, it down. Yeah, our, I have no Jewish education to speak of. And uh, as somebody who's yearned for a connection with the tribe and for my people, I can say it's really hard, even if you're Jewish, to walk into a shul even a conservative, even a reform show and understand what's going on. So we always wanted to connect with people who have a huge Jewish education and people who know nothing at all. So that I think is a big part of our appeal is that we're very accessible, but without dumbing it down. Last question about your blog. Where where next? What are you thinking about for the accidents homeless? You're at a million followers. Is your goal to get to 2 million? Is your goal? Our our goal is to get to 1 billion on Facebook. (laughs) Wow, I like it. But that's also just a springboard. We we consider that a base of how we're really going to branch out. We've got a move. We've got, right. Facebook is kind of where we've been very successful, but we want to go way beyond Facebook. So we're developing a movie and uh, Sal is almost done with a book proposal. Huh, that sounds pretty amazing. All right. Well, thank you for sharing us with us your story, The Accident Automatist. Uh, I hope our listeners will tune in next to our next podcast where we dive a little deeper with both of you about the theme of radical moderation, which I know both of you are really passionate about. So thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to sharing with the Litvax in our next episode. 